Hello and welcome to this, the 14th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And as you know, every week we start off with this great motivational message about going out and supporting the arts and supporting Irish theatre and how the whole purpose of this podcast is to promote, support and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. Well, the motivational message this week is Valentine's Day is coming up and I know many of you will be out there splashing out money on a nice bunch of roses or a cute teddy bear or a slap up meal somewhere. Maybe have a think this time around of doing something a little bit different and taking your beloved out for a night at the theatre. Go and buy yourself some theatre tickets. You'll have a great night out. You'll have something to talk about afterwards and, you know, even if it's a first date or something like that and you're not necessarily getting on, you won't have to talk to them during the show. So it'll be fine. As ever, there are many ways you can support this podcast. We're not looking for you to put your hand in your pocket. We're just asking you to go and tell people about the podcast, whether that's in person or sharing the link on Facebook or retweeting it on Twitter. Going over to iTunes and subscribing to the podcast, listening back to all the old episodes, leaving us a review maybe over on iTunes or simply clicking to rate us. Their five-star rating system. It's a one-click deal. That's all we're asking of you. Uh, you can follow us, Rise Productions, on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland or on Twitter, we are at Rise Ireland. So, that brings us to this week's guest, who is an absolute superstar and a really good mate of mine, the brilliant Carl Shields, who uh, has done everything in this business. He's a really great guy. We talked for a long time on this one, so it's uh, it's a really good interview. So I'm not going to do too much here in prep for it. Uh, you all know who he is. You all know how deadly he is. You've all seen him on stage, traveling around the world, winning awards, doing a huge amount of screen work as well. Carl is the business and, uh, and a very funny guy as well. I'm not going to yak on too much. Here it is. This is Carl Shields. Carl Shields, thank you so much for coming to have a chat to us. Thank you very much. Very, feel very humbled to be here. Thank you very much. It's an honour right. to be in your presence. The same deal as every week. We go back to the very beginning. Um, when did it occur to you? Why did it occur to you? How did you decide you'd like to make your living in the business? Well, I can tell you a little story just before I do that about this, this particular room um, and this particular window, which we're actually looking at now. I was actually sitting in that chair there with Maureen Hughes sitting opposite the table and a French director, uh, female French director. I cannot remember her name. Um, and a cameraman over where probably you are here. And we were doing this, uh, auditioning for this surrealist sort of French road trip movie, which I don't think it ever saw. I think the council or whoever gave the money to it. But I was sitting here and of course uh, the, the, I had to learn the lines and stuff like that and it was, I had them backwards and forwards and stuff like that and it was great and stuff. So Maureen is doing her thing, she's a terrific casting agent and she's playing the part and stuff like that. Now I'm focusing here so they go, okay, let's go for a take. And um, so as soon as she said that and the camera was rolling, just opposite here above Pinkstow Spanish restaurant, this very well-endowed uh, brunette, I presume she was Spanish, I can only imagine she was Spanish, well I imagine she was Spanish, started to dance uh, topless uh, while singing into a hairbrush. Um, <laughs> so Maureen was in her view line, she didn't see it, no one saw it bar me, we finished the scene and we then, she said okay and cut and then I said okay now ladies, because there were three ladies, there was a camera person, there was a camera person, female. And I said, uh, please, please, please turn around and look out the window now because you will not believe it. And there she was still <laughs> singing. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I still do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but anyway, but um, yeah. 
I don't know. Uh, I suppose my mother, uh, who's since passed, I think she always said that I was very uh, theatrical. I was always a theatrical type. You know, I don't know what that meant at the time. Well, I would sort of be doing stuff that possibly other kids, I don't know, of my peers and stuff like that in Chapelers at the time. Like I'd be, They'd be playing with their action men and I would be, in some way, I would have created a torture room for the action men and like fucking burning them and stuff like that and just having sort of like a flair for just showing off I suppose whatever it was being a little bit different uh, and then I sort of progressed into puppet shows uh, my sister's toys uh, and a magic uh, thing that I got one Christmas and then I sort of coupled that as a sort of magic puppet show I suppose that we used to do it across the garden wall and the audience attendance was very good actually some of your finest work my best work um, and um, so then that progressed and then we sort of got a bit older and we were sort of into girls and then uh, we wanted to do this talent show so I came up with the idea that we should do sort of uh, ACDC sort of tribute band but tribute bands hadn't been heard of then it was an ACDC band we were going to recreate ACDC and of course I took uh, the lead role uh, Angus uh, um, young um, so I took him and we made wooden guitars and we had a little, my, the lead singer who was Bon Scott who was Greg Grunel my next door neighbour had to wear a wig that somehow was in our house I don't know how that wig got there but we had a wig <laughs> so he got that and we did it and my brother was uh, the drummer and we cast a whole lot and we did it and we, we won we actually won we, uh, you know, we, we did a whole lot of Rosie and then and we won, tore the house down. And then we used to do little concerts around the area in the, the estate and on the green and stuff where we'd set up and we'd do a full set and we'd do all this type of thing. And then we formed a band. Um, we, we started called State Line first to begin with and I was playing the drums. My father always reckons that I was probably the worst drummer ever in Dublin. But uh, I was a drummer. And... Uh, we did a garage band and we rehearsed. I mean, my brother was the lead singer and uh, we rehearsed and we rehearsed and we did a few pubs in town and stuff like that. We were getting good and stuff like that. But this is the point in which uh, my brother was going out with this girl uh, who was involved in a pantomime in Palmstown in Dublin 20. And she asked me, would I be interested in playing the drums at this panto and they needed a drummer? I said, yeah, I had this massive nine-piece bastardized kit. I had floor toms, high toms, every type of tom you could think of. Wow. Tom, Dick and Harry Tom. <laughs> but they were there. It was like, so we did this. And my big moment was I had to recreate this storm sequence. You know, and it was grand and it was great and it was all. But the, uh, there was a local drama group which were looking for people, Parmestown players. And they asked me, well, would I be interested in auditioning uh, I don't know what that was um, for the plough on the stars and I was in school at the time so I was and even in school I was doing crazy shit like I had a club your father-in-law actually was my teacher yes indeed this is very true and the wonderful Paddy Connell Paddy Connell and, and uh, his father was my father's teacher there's a weird connection but um, he uh, we had I had this club underneath the school and stuff like that where I was a sort of the owner of this club and we used to have it in the morning and at lunchtime and stuff. anyway Always a flair for someone, as my mother said, you were very tactical. So uh, I auditioned for the part of Lieutenant Langan in The Play on the Stars, and the first direction I was ever given was, Carl, you must feel as if, at this point, that uh, Langan, he is dying, he has been shot, and to imagine being shot, that he has a hot poker shoved into his belly. Now imagine that, Carl, and play the scene from there. And that was my first direction ever, and I took it, and they gave me the part. And as they say, I was, this was, I could not believe 
this existed, this this world existed of uh, crimson lake on the lips and little bits of white in your eyes so that the audience would be brought to you. All these theatrical little tricks that all these dames and queens and Brilliant queens at the time <laughs> had uh, all these you know makeup tricks. It's just hilarious, and also the fact that they were doing this on a constant basis, and you could do this. So I became absolutely hooked, uh, line and sinker, and um, I continued to work with Parmesan players. I then ventured up the road to Lucan Inside Track. No, Lucan uh, oh further afield because I was chasing a girl up there at the time. <laughs> Insight Drama Group in Selbridge. And then went back then to Lucan. And then I, I just absolutely adored it. And that was really where it probably just realised that everything sort of came together and went, yeah, this is really something I want to do. Uh, but how do you do that? And uh, the family, our family business is electrical contracting. And um, me being eldest son, I had already approached my mother uh, that I wanted to be a hairdresser because I used to call my friend's hair. And she was like, like you know Philip who cuts my hair? And cut to Philip. Hiya, that's love as Jill. Would you like to be like Philip? I was like, Jesus, all hairdressers are like, and I couldn't explain it. So I said, No, okay, I won't be a hairdresser, and I want to be a stuntman and all this type of shit. So uh, how could I go now? I wanted to be an actor. So anyway, I held a son, all this type of thing. I I went on and uh, went did I finished school, and uh, actually funny enough, my, my my class that we were in in secondary school, we were studying Plough on the Stars for the Leaving Cert, and I had like to bring them to see me in the Plough on the Stars with my English That's teacher. Deadly. It was pretty cool, yeah. Um, you know, and we had fantastic uniforms and all this stuff. But it was just like guys in my class had never seen a theatre show ever. But to see someone from their class in a theatre show, like I was like walking on air for about a week, but. Uh, so I, I sort of got into it that way and then I, I got a, did the electrical and I was never, like I was really good at like I was just took the electrical because I've worked on a building site since I was about 12, 13, type of thing, summer jobs and all that type of thing. And so I knew the sort of trade and I knew the environment in which I was working and I liked it, I didn't like it, you know, anyone else who had there was an electrician would know the cutting compound which was called Treflex which was like gets into your skin, you can smell it, it's under your nails, it's in your sandwiches, your tea taste, just the smell of that, you know, that just kill you and every time you get that smell it brings you back to those memories. But um, so I, I got into that and I did the electrical and then what happened, I was still doing the drama and I was still doing this. And I then went to Kevin Street College where uh, to go on to do doing all my sort of electrical science and electrical engineering and all that type of thing and sit the exams and and I got involved in the the drama sock there. Um, Alan King actually was uh, one of my one of my friends there and uh, uh, Dave Gillespie I think was a, we did a few shows together. But I, I would bunk off electrical science class to go and give drama workshops or to go and direct plays or to go and act in plays. So I knew there was sort of something, you know, I'd tell the teacher, the, the, the lecturer that I was leaving and I'd be gone. That'd be it, I'd be gone for the day. Uh, anyway, passed all my exams there and then what happened uh, was I wasn't just happy in the electrical. So my father and my mother said to me, they said, look, you want to give it a shot? So I came out and tried to work as an actor for about nine months between my third year of apprenticeship and my fourth. And managed to, to I started a theatre company called Raw Image and we did a very successful show uh, which was called As Is by W.M. Hoffman, I think his name was. Right. Which was about the AIDS uh, virus and the beginning of AIDS. It was a bit like before The Normal Heart, is that what it's called? It was a little bit before that. Uh, this play was a very early play. So we did it in the City Arts Centre and we sold tickets and, and Dice Man 
gave us a big dig out um, by publicising it and stuff like that. And it was just, it was a lovely thing. And we managed and we, we did two weeks and we sold out. And it was like first time ever my mother and father, like going from Lieutenant Langan to something in a, you know, the, I don't know, some the, Terence Rattigan play in Celebridge to trying to have anal sex in a gay play on stage and discovering you have AIDS. Which would be a lot for parents <laughs> to deal with. Parents to deal with. And snogging a bloke and getting naked and all this type of thing. And it was like, you know, my mother was full of praise. My father, you know, loved it, the fact that, you know, we, we've seen his son up there and stuff like that. But it was just bizarre. Like So, so I, I was meeting the same people. Auditioning's like, was a bit weird. And I managed to get an agent, uh, which was bizarre, um, which was, I was represented by... Uh, two women uh, who shared an agency and um, it was great and then I went back I went, I just kept meeting the same people and I wouldn't I was auditioning for people like Wet Paint I wasn't getting work so I said fuck this what I'll do is I'll, I'll finish working as an electrician which I did I qualified I worked for a year as a fully qualified Sparks I was given a job to beginning middle and end complete which I did once I handed over the keys and the certs I said okay that's it I, I want to be an actor I've done everything now that I need to do I want to be an actor so I knew the fact that I wasn't going to go out there. I still have my theatre company, Raw Image. We were sort of playing around, doing bits and pieces. And I said, I went, okay, I have to go and train. So then I went to the Gaiety School for, for 1993 to 1995. And what was your time at the Gaiety like? It was pretty good. Like, it was uh, enjoyable. It was fantastic to be able to, 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 be, to wake up in the morning and to go somewhere and do something that you really, really, really wanted to do. Um, and um, you know to, to to learn to you know to get rid of tricks or to inhabit whatever you wanted to do, and I had some fantastic uh, teachers in there, particularly Mary Elizabeth Burke Kennedy, um, who was like a, just a godsend. She was just incredible. She, you know, uh, I would give my eye teeth to work with that woman again. Um, she was really, really. She had a great vision, and she just knew her stuff. Like she's a big Stanislavski here, but that didn't sort of. You know, you learn from that and you take what you want and stuff yeah. like that. You know, and it was very inventive and I was very, I was allowed to sort of do weird stuff like, you know, Patrick would give us, uh, Patrick would give us these sort of like, you know, out of somewhere I want you to create this chaos so that the audience are sort of like, you know, you know, do something. So I'd be like going up to Mead Street to like a slaughterhouse and getting points of pig's blood and strapping them to my face and cling film and doing this dance piece where I was like being battered by two Protestants up the north and I was a Catholic boy was in, in, you know, with this poem and this music and then I would like explode pig's blood all over the place and then I nearly set fire to the building one day by doing this sort of like shamanic ritual thing with lighter <laughs> fuel, like bottles and bottles of lighter fuel and then setting them all on fire and like fucking insane stuff. Um... And it was really good, you know. It was like it was, it was really like interesting like that. I had a couple of run-ins with a couple of teachers who were just useless, to be honest. Um, I shouldn't have been there, but I sort of sort of got on with it, and it was just like it was good. And I, you know, when I when I left, I became very you know I became very good friends with Patrick, and uh, I'm since now on the board of the Gaiety School. Wow! Oh, I think, for a fellow who's nearly kicked out twice, <laughs> <laughs> he's now on the board. But um, it was like you know, it was a great learning experience, and it was a wonderful environment to be able to just try stuff, to be able to just to fail. You know, a safety net to fail, and some amazing people were in my class, like the, you know, Eva Bertessel and uh, a great Shashirami and stuff like that. There's some really Declan McCarthy from West Cork, just really, really, really good, good people who you know, who you'd know you're going to spend possibly the rest of your life knowing, yeah. you know, as such like that. And that was really good. And then some people who, 
just shouldn't have been there you know they just had no idea what day it was let alone what they were actually trying to do as, as to be actors because I don't think they had any whatever life experience they had they just wouldn't allow it to, to find their craft they just were I don't know what happened but it was like you know that's what you're doing I think, when you're in school drama school or whatever you know you sort of develop a craft or you start to learn you get you start to gather together a toolbox of you know to be able to that sounds really wanky but do you know what I mean? But to be able to get, you know, so that you're working, that, you, that it's a craft, that it is, you know, when discipline is very important as well, you know. It's like being on time and just knowing stuff, you know. So it was really good. Like, it was really an interesting experience. So I came out there in 95, and uh, I still had my theatre company, and I did. I was really into, because of the stuff that we were doing in there, you know, that you didn't have to have a conventional theatre space. I sort of went, okay, I really went to this, you know, there was no such term, I don't think it's so specific then, but I just knew I didn't want to have a theatre space. I just knew that I wanted to put audiences in weird places, not weird positions, but weird places. Yeah. So uh, I had this play called Fallen, which was a one-woman show by Polly Teal. And it was about the Kerry Babies. And I took upon myself to do a little bit of rewrite, and um, which I did. And I cast, I created characters that she'd spoken about, and we did it in the back of the IFC, which was now the IFI. And I hired a tap hall and tent, and we used the structure that was there, which are the pillars and that beautiful staircase, that little steps and the beautiful exposed wall, and we put the audience there in the tarpaulin looking at this. And it was, that was great. And we had good fun, and we made a few bob, which was able to then do another show, which is where the new theatre is. It was a place called, originally called Shomer Nikyol, and there was a little space at the back of that and I got to know the two guys there and we went in and we they were running this music room so I came in and we did the Pitchfork Disney by Philip Ridley there and it was a terrific because the audience had to come in a weird way they weren't under they were not aware of the space because so then we said that was a great great success and then we took over that space I tried to do like a lab for us to just play with shit and just to have fun in and just stuff and then the guys who were there are still there now but before it became the new theatre you know it was money and it was false yeah. and all that shit so we were eventually told to get out so we had to leave there uh, but then I got a job with the uh, it was like a dream come true they were casting for uh, the guys and dolls in the gaiety school on the gaiety theatre and they needed basic sort of like uh, extras but like with stuff to do like yeah. you know so and John Kavanagh was in it and I was like I have to fuck because I absolutely adored John Cavanagh. Like, I, you know, I saw McCann and Cavanagh together. I, I don't know how many times I saw that show. And I was just like, oh, fucking hell. Like, I just have a grow for John Cavanagh. You know, everything he does, everything he touches is, you know. But um, So I had to do it. Anita Reeves. Um, so we, I got, we had to audition for a lovely guy called Paul Kerrison. It was a London Haymarket gay, groundwork production at the time. Ronald Smith and Ben Barnes in the gaiety. And I did it and we got in and uh, it was just like, you were talking, I think Adam was talking about like the, the, the West End, it was like the closest you could ever get, you know, it was the Gaiety Theatre, it was like, holy shit, and you know, two matinees, you know, on a Wednesday matinee, and anyway, the show didn't make money on the clothes and then whatever. But that was great, so that was, uh, I don't know, 95, I was after the Gaiety School, and in 96, sort of slow, uh, and then I got a job with Barnstorm, doing... Um, Digger, Doc and Dee uh, which was going on the road uh, Philip Hardy was directing and we went down rehearsing Kilkenny and then went on tour with that 
and uh, it was great. It was good fun. It was chill. It was theatre. It was it was tough, but it was uh, it was good crack and good few heads in it. John Desmond and Ben Palmer, really just good heads and really yeah. good fun. It was the first time I ever saw an actor being sacked. Um, none of those guys mentioned this other particular guy. Who I can't even remember his name. He was the grandfather character, and uh, he was just really weird. He was just really, really weird. And Philip was breaking his balls to try and get him. We were doing animal improvs yeah. to try and make him more cuddly. Because he had to be alone with the girl who was Dee Dee. Right. And the mother would entrust, Roisin Gribbon wouldn't, she was also in my class in the high school, would entrust care to this really nice man. Hello, Dee Dee. <laughs> what are you doing, Dee Dee? What are you doing, Dee Dee? So it was like, Jesus Christ, we can't let this man near this girl, let alone bring kids to see this. Yeah. So we got sacked. So we wow. had to bring in, we brought in a guy called Bob English, who was just this big, warm, friendly, cuddly giant of a yeah. man, and suddenly the play made sense. But yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an eye-opener, <laughs> certainly. So let's fast forward a little bit. At what stage... Having had raw image, at what stage does Semper Fi come into existence or come into your head? Uh, Semper Fi was... Um, raw image was sort of kicking about because between 96, 97, 98, I was doing a lot of work with Bedrock and Loose Cannon. Like Jimmy and uh, Jason gave me some of the best characters ever played in my life, ever. And uh, some of the best theatre we ever did. That was the you know, theatre cruelty season, Greek, obituary, like... Um, like it was just the amount of theatre that was that we were that they were producing, and you know I said to Jason Bourne to give me a job. I'd sweep the stage from him, and I got a small part with him. And then Jimmy was, you know, so you go between the two, and then it was like they were then doing other stuff, and then there was no other sort of space for you to go. Like you know, it was like um, there was no real space, so. I sort of said, well, Raw Image was there and Raw Image sort of had disbanded. There was a couple of people who were no longer interested. So sort of like November 99, we started to uh, think about this idea. It was myself, DP uh, and uh, Shashi Rami. We started to we like, let's do theatre. You know, we could do site-specific theatre. We could do just make stuff. So that's where it really sort of came out of. And we, we did... Um, I again took it upon myself to uh, adapt a an E. McCune short story um, called Conversation with a Cupboard Man with DP played and then we went on to do Butterflies again with Ned Dennehy and I had the privilege of meeting uh, Ian McCune and the night before we were doing Butterflies and uh, I went up with him uh, with the book uh, with his short stories and I said look I said we're doing this play and I had given him a letter prior to the meeting because it was uh, I think it was um it wasn't an arena um, show. It was broadcast from RTE, a broadcast from Vicar Street. Right. So we met him anyway. I sent him a letter to say, look, we've really no money, so don't sue us, but we'd really like to meet you. So we met him, and he was lovely, and he said, oh, you are the people who are doing the play. And I said, would you not come and see it? Like, please come and see it. He said, no, he was leaving that morning, the next morning, so he couldn't come and see it. But he wrote in the book uh, to Carl, uh, David, and Pascal, the very best with the production. So that for me was anyone who sees me, I just show them. Absolutely, you've been writing now. Yeah. So that was it. So and then I met Paul Walker, who became my partner in crime in a lot of ways. I said to him, I'd really like to do a play in a toilet, and um, which, as yeah. we know, went on to become the all-conquering ladies and, and gents. gents. Yeah. And we really loved that play, and you know, it was like I, did, I wanted to do it in a toilet, but I didn't want it to do it sort of like, you know cottaging or drugs or modern day. I said, look, think black and white, think. Trilby's cigarettes. 
So Paul came up with this, uh, with, with, with the idea of this, you know, one, and I want, the idea was there of how we, you know, they come in this side, and they, so the idea was born, Paul wrote it, and it was just fucking crack, like, we we did it, then we we did it here. Was uh, it originally in Stephen's Green? Stephen's Green, yeah, uh, which was a, a space where MacLeamore and Edwards would visit on the way into town. Right, okay. So suddenly there was a theatrical background behind this toilet. But working in the toilet, it became, you know, sort of weird on the first day. It sort of becomes, uh, you know, your workplace then where you're putting sandwiches down on sinks and stuff like that. After a while, you don't really care. Um, so that went on. We went, we tried to get the money. We got a small grant from the Arts Council. Then we tried to get money from Culture Ireland and we had to raise the money prior to. And we did a deal with the Traverse Theatre and we managed to do Traverse at your convenience. So we got that and we did really well in Edinburgh. We got a French force and we got a, a, a Herald Angel or something like that or a Devil. And then we, you know, from there, then we were taking the show was bought into Plymouth and stuff like that. And then a couple of years later, cut to a few years later, we brought it to um, to the Central Park in, in New York, which was uh, a buzz, like an absolute buzz. Um, and then we've, we've, we're trying to bring it back. We're, we wanted to give it to a gift to the city to say, look, it's a tourist attraction, you know. It's yeah. Like, People still talk about that show every time, you know, in different, where I've met them in, in Brooklyn, you know, wherever I've met them, they've said, oh, that toilet show still works, oh, it would still work, you know. How amazing was that Central Park run? Because, I mean, mm. having come from a public loo in Stevens Green, to make it to Central Park is the equivalent of starting off in Project Cube and making it to Broadway. Yeah, it was a bit, It was very strange. It was, um, like, we had the amount of press we had, it was just incredible, like, Mexican television, German television, Paul was on CBS being interviewed, and... It was just insane. Like, it really was. It was like, you know, and uh, we had fantastic reviews and stuff like that. And the, the place was, was jammers and I, we managed to get over. And like, It was just a really, really one of those fantastic experiences. There's another Semper Fi show I want to talk about because I remember being blown away by it at the time, which was Adrenaline <laughs> at the Fringe Festival. Yeah. Would that have been early 2000s? Yeah, right? it would have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was that experience like? Because it seems that ambition was to have gone from, a, you know, a tight, yeah. cramped kind of claustrophobic show in a public loo yeah. to this huge big scale Monster. thing yeah what was that like that was a rush uh to be honest with you and it was also it turned me gray uh because <laughs> uh, i was directing and producing and stuff like that and it was like you know 300 people a night uh shipped in a black and blacked out coach to uh, warehouse and you know it was sheriff street like people were i think the space had been used before but it was still moving 300 people a night and then the coach drivers who had signed up at the beginning started to get wind that there was 300 people and they wanted more money and then they weren't going to work and it was all this type of thing. But we worked with a team of uh, stuntmen, Paddy Condren, as a, um, Armour, um, Paul, um, as, a, as our stunts. But uh, and, like it was it was just a rush. Like, you know? And like Fintan O'Toole said in the paper, like, you know, it looks like that the, uh, the boys didn't need an audience. Like, but, but it, because we went our way, we said, we said all along the way, this was owed to the 1970s. This was like, you know, sexploitation, exploitation. This was one of those shows. It was going to be like, you know, sexist, racist, misogynistic, gory, you know, lots of gunfire, lots of fucking music, lots, lots of just pump, come on, come on, come on. And I think, you know, a lot of people hated it. Like, they fucking hated it. <laughs> and, you know, there was one thing, like, we slipped up, like, Joe was talking about site-specific theatre, and it's like toilets. We had one fucking toilet that, you know, we, toilets did not, cups of tea. We didn't have any, we didn't have a budget to do that. Like, we yeah. installed, basically, a lighting rig equivalent to the point into this place. We had to get, like, doors working, you know, hydraulic doors and pumps and vans that were from the 1970s. We'd get, like, 140 gunshots on stage, average a night. 
gore, blood, fingers being cut off. Then we had like a, a whole lot of dancers and sort of like, you know, all this sort of this black female diva coming down and this sort of Swarkoff sort of diamondy dress singing in the middle of this weird scene. So I was like, it was just fucked up. Like, but it was absolutely everything we set out to be, bar the the background stuff, which was it was cold. It was wear a fucking coat then, or it was like you know people were bringing in cans. So halfway through the show, like, we had to tell them, do not leave your seats because you had 147 gunshots. You had like guys with two Glock nine millimeters firing them across at each other you know so we had an average of about maybe at one point we'd about 18 guns going off and i was like these guys with cans or two liters of cider trying to get up to have a piss <laughs> yeah, come on, sit the fuck back down so that was a bit weird you know but uh, it was an experience it was an absolute experience and i you know we broke all box office records with the fringe you know, you know i think it's yet being beaten but it was like we made no money right we made no money what did like, i think we cleared about a grand Wow. Yeah. Show was a massive like it was hundred and fifty nine thousand I think the show was. At the time that was just insane money. Yeah. But we we did it. And the press again, the press coverage went mad, you know, we were Belinda McKeown, we we you know, kidnapped and but you know, blindfolded her and drove her down, <laughs> you know, and told her what it was gonna be like and it was just a rush, it was great. I wanna talk about your ongoing relationship with Marco Rowe. We talked briefly with Aidan Kelly about it. Obviously, yeah. you and Aido and Mark kind of formed this magical triangle a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. But from Howie the Rookie to Terminus to Intermission as well, yeah. you've, it seems a great relationship with him. Yeah, it was great. I didn't get a part in Perry's Bounty, did I? Uh, <laughs> or, you know. Uh, well, but who's right. counting? No, who's counting? Who's, he, that doesn't matter, does it, Mark? Um, but, um, yeah, it was like Mark was like, you know, I, I was doing Greek at the time, directed by Jason Bourne upstairs in the, for Bedrock, um, directed by Jason Bourne upstairs in the uh, International Bar on Wicklow Street. And Marco Rowe, this guy, came up and said, I have this play that I'm writing, I'd love to have a, for you to have a look at it. I was like, oh yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. And I was going on to do something, another Heiner Muller, because I was just sort of like a Heiner Muller head at the time. And I was going on to do something else, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So yeah, so then nothing came of it. And then I got a, a like a post uh, from the Bush Theatre, uh, you know, it was play, and it was like, holy shit, what it was. And I was on tour, but then something else. And um, I managed then, I auditioned, I think, in Dublin, and then I had to go back to Monaghan or somewhere in place. Anyway, I got the part of Howie the Rookie. Uh, I was interested because uh, myself and Aidan at the time, uh, you know, he had got the script as well. It was like, and I only knew Aidan briefly uh, through the fact that the whole girls thing the, the sisters and all that type of thing but um, and it was like we had said like you know so who do you want to play and it was like just Mexican standoff right and he was like you say and I said no you say no you fucking say <laughs> I said no you say so I said rookie and he went right how we ground were sorted so from there on I was ground and both of us were cast and we went on this massive adventure around the world brilliant Um and then Terminus was coming back up. Uh, well, intermission actually. It was very funny. I was in the shop there the other day, and this guy stopped me and he says to me, "You're in intermission, aren't you?" And I said, "Yeah, I was. That's right." He says, "Oh yeah, Colomini. I reckon I could whop you." And I said, "Oh yeah." And he does all the fighting sequence, and then he says, "You were in Veronica Gearn as well, weren't you?" And I says, "That's right." Yeah. He says, "Yeah, you're really fucking fat in that, weren't you?" <laughs> I was like. Yeah, I probably was. <laughs> That's a lovely Irish compliment, oh, I guess. absolutely, yeah. They give it with one hand and they'd snatch a head off the rest. But, uh, so Terminus, Terminus was a, uh, was one of those shows that I'd seen um, in Peacock, I think, and um, I fell in love with the script and I went to see it, I think, twice. 
and it was just one of those plays just going oh I would have given my eye teeth for that part and suddenly you know that it came up and they asked and then I had audition for Mark and Mark's really like fucking pedantic like he just he has to it has to be right for him and I understand why you know because it's particularly Terminus anyone who's read Terminus or seen Terminus you just it's Tenko of a play it is it is Japanese torture because you are in you are locked into this dialogue this monologue you are on a raised platform made of perspex that's on a slant that's on a rake your brain your eyes can't see the ground so you're constantly in a state of falling and that you have shin splints from standing on a rake trying to get your head into this I don't know this you know Chinese puzzle but uh, and it scared the fuck out of me and um, but I, that's what I loved about it was like yes yes and I'd seen Aiden doing it and it was like you know Aiden played it the way he did but I had to make him real I had to make him real yeah. very very real this guy couldn't just be a clown he had to be more than he had to be real because it was like if you're going to go around the country and you're going to kill overweight women because the devil has cheated you you've got to know what you're going to do so you can't just play it for the laughs you've got to play it they got to like you and right. then they got to hate you and then they got to like you and then they give a little laugh when you're swinging by your intestines at the end of a crane while you're singing the wings the wind beneath my wings so you've got a hell of a lot of ask for an audience yeah so you got to know what you're doing so Mark was like yeah I want you to do it this way I want you to do it. change that word change it no, would you keep fucking saying that change it change it I was like so we did it and it was great and then we went around and we went to Edinburgh and stuff like that and we did it great and then intermission was like one of those ones it was like weird it was like you know, I really wanted to do intermission. It was like, and everyone wanted David Wilmot's part. And it was like, fucking everyone I met was up for David Wilmot's part. And then David Wilmot was cast and you were going around. And then Wayne came up, this like weird guy. And I was doing Henry the Fourth part one in the Peacock where I was playing Douglas, this, you know, Scottish warrior at night with armour and Anita Reeves kilt, uh, Anita Reeves skirt during rehearsals. <laughs> I wore her clothes during rehearsals. Uh, and who said showbiz wasn't glamorous, eh, Carl? Fantastic, it was great. I still have it. No, <laughs> but um, so and then playing that, and I'm just playing this absolute sort of you know uh, drug dealing slob in the day. It was it was a great experience, and then Colomini and and there is they left the take. Uh, you know that we did I think two three takes of the fight, and he, they actually left the take where if you actually look very closely, you want to get it like a zoom. He actually connects with my chin, yeah, and uh, it hits me. But it was grand. We were we were all we were all fine. Wow. But so that was really it. So like you know, I, I absolutely adore Mark. So it was like whatever you're doing next, give us a job. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> so talk to me then about the whole theatre upstairs project, which mm. seems to have been hugely successful and then kind of prematurely ended and then back and all kinds of yeah, unforeseeable hassle. I was fucking gutted, to be honest with you. Absolutely destroyed. It took, you know, absolutely, to be honest with you, really, really, really fucking destroyed over that. I still probably haven't recovered 100% from that because when it started, I found this space which I just fell in love with and it was beautiful and it was all this type of thing. And for some bizarre reason, I was given the impression I wasn't told but I was, remember I was at a question about this whole thing of lease and it was a I was told there was no problem we have a 35 year lease we're fucking sailing so that was it so off we went 
And this was above. This was above the, the plow. plow uh, on Abbey Street. Abbey. Yeah, but yeah. And um, what happened was we got, we we started set it up. We did the whole thing, and then the first play, obviously, we had a gun in the play. So I was going for the the gun. I go to Paddy Condren, who's the uh, armor who I deal with all the time. And Paddy, because he's a professional, goes to Store Street Guard Station to register the weapon um, and um, says to the desk sergeant or whoever it was, uh, this is for the lads who's doing the new theatre in, in, above the plough. And they were like, what? What new theatre? Those guys don't even have a licence for a bar up there. Like, I was like, what the fuck? So suddenly we were told, we were told by the law, by the cops, that we will shut you down. We will shut you down if... Like we performed, so we went underground. We said, "Fuck it!" So we put a little notice it was flooding or something like that. Yeah, and we had to go underground. Visually, we were because the press were really interested in the supporting. It was just coming. Well, I remember around the buzz around the time of the launch, everyone was really excited about it. Unbelievable, man! It was fucking unbelievable. Like Jesus Christ, the people we had involved from all walks of life, from all parts of theatre making, just the people, the writers, the actors, the stage managers, the help that the Abbey were giving us everything like it was just ready to go and uh, fuck's sake then we um, we had to close because we were going to get the fire chief wanted to fucking come so he came and grand and we were then we had to apply for a theatre licence which was going to cost a couple of grand and I put about fucking four or five grand three or four grand worth of electrical equipment there we put in three phase supplies so we could do lights we had all the lighting we had sound equipment in we did paint we did fucking blacked out all the windows we did everything this place was ready to fucking rock and then the fuckers came and told me that um, they didn't have a, they, the landlord who owned the building they didn't have a th- it's 35 year lease they had a one year lease and uh, the landlord now who was a greedy fuck at the time and still probably is had uh, wanted to almost multiply their rent by five. So they were like, we're not going to hang. These are the guys who are now in Lanigans. And it was like, lovely, lovely. And the relationship we had with them, they were absolutely superb to us, except this fucking lease thing. So they said, well, why don't you just move the theatre around the corner to the Clifton Court? We could do it over the weekend. It'd be great. You could open them on there. It's like, you must be fucking kidding me. We've got to close. It was like, yeah, that's it. It's over. It was like, here, it's over, but it's going to happen. I was like, fuck, man. So... I was absolutely destroyed. So that's that was the the ongoing, you know, and everything we had. Like we had the we had the place programmed for the next six months. Yeah. The amount of shows we had at the lunchtime, all world premieres, all Irish premieres, all new rising, all the way. We had that programmed right into the new year. We had all the six o'clock slot was starting to make sense. We had we were going to do an artist in residence. We were going to do like. Um, do workshop we're just going to do the place was going to be a hub of activity the amount of people that I had who were said that they actors older actors who had never directed would love to direct they have this play that they've always wanted they were going to do this and I was like oh man it was like a kick to be honest it was like absolutely castrated like it was just I could not believe that after all of the shit that we'd been through that we conquered with and the support again when we'd reopen. Closed the support again. Like I couldn't believe this fucking shit that that was it. It was like that's it. So I just went into fucking massive depression and I was like fucking in the dumps, like, you know, and I still probably really affected me, you know. I was like, fuck you anyway. So um I don't know, like I it, the will is still in me to to, yeah. to do it again. It's still within me. Uh, I still have the amount of energy I still have it. but then like we became this fucking weird albatross thing where we started looking at new spaces 
and we looked at this really fantastic little space downstairs in a pub not too far from uh, Lanigan's and it was really interesting it was old stone brick wall and stuff like that and we were like maybe fucking place closed then we were brought down to this other place where we were saying do you see all this it was like you know Satan do you see all of this all of this can be yours how much rent no rent what do you mean no rent well we're not paying rent we're squatting what? Well, we're squatting too, but it's all going to be sorted out in the law, the courts. We're going to have this. Do you want it? All oh, of this could be yours. Do you want it? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking evicted. So I'm afraid to ask Jesus. people, are they interested in taking theatre upstairs? Yeah. Because I was like, you know, I went, okay. Now, I think the way it should work is, is that I don't mind where it goes if the space is right. Yeah. You know, and it's it's been a year and I've had time to sit back and I've had time to think about, you know, where it went wrong it wasn't my fault. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't anyone else's fault bar this fucker of a landlord who wanted more money. And then he offered me the place back. He said, it was working for you, it was. It was working for you. You were making a few bob. We weren't making any money. We made, I think we, we worked out, myself, Paul and uh, um, Andy were on 47 cent an hour or something like that. Which wouldn't quite be the minimum wage. Maybe in Croatia. No, not even Croatia. Like somewhere where they... Stitch Nike basketballs yeah. together, possibly that's a week's wage. But like, we were like, you know, I was like, fuck, so we weren't making money. But I told this fucker we were making money. So, so he said, give me a week and a half and I'll give you back to you. And I was like, no way, man, no way. You yeah. fucking burnt me once. And then we close it. His son ran it into the ground. But I still have footage because that was the pub and I have footage of Des Cave leaving the Abbey Bar. Yeah, this is an iconic story. Yeah. So we definitely have to get this down for posterity. Like, well, like, there was a huge. Turnout. All the actors used to drink in the in the plow, and then there was a. The, the, Des came back from the from touring and stuff like that, uh, America, and he was over with Tomas McCannity in a show, in rehearsal, and because Des was the lead actor, Tomas he Des said, look, Tomas, let the let the the other actors go. You give me the notes, and then I can sort of feed them the notes, um, and then we can work on it tomorrow. But it's late now. Like it would have been whatever, close to closing time, and they're still working in the Abbey. Yeah, that'll tell you. And they said. Um, Okay, so the lads went over and Des took the notes off Tomas and went across to the Abbey and I went across to the Palau and your man refused to give him a drink. He says, there's no way you're getting a drink. The time, things have changed since your back cave. So Des went, right, fuck you. Up he got, walked across to the flowing tide. 31 years pass. Des has never been back in the Palau. And to be fair, it took much of the acting community of Dublin yeah. across the road with them. Oh, yeah, and he a lot did. Of they all left. The years. They all left. All left and went to the flowing tide, and then the flowing tide, you know, became the flowing tide, and then the sackful was born, and then all of that type of thing. But uh, so I was at, I was, we were doing a show uh, with Des, it was Aratorui, I think, and um, the Abbey, and I was with Des, he said, Do you see the plough? And I was doing the plough, I was sat in the plough, and I said, Did you come back? He says, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Finally, we got him back. 31 years 31 later. 31 years later. So I have the footage, we're standing outside, there's weird people there, I couldn't, you know. I think even you may be somewhere around there where your voice is heard. Possibly. But I know there's like Malcolm Adams and Jimmy Fay is there and there's a lot, and everyone's loads of people waiting. So Des walked across and we had to wait and his daughter and his son were there. So we were there waiting and he was in the jacks having a piss and then he wasn't coming and there's all this. And it's really grainy footage but down he comes, out he goes and across the, around the corner we had to go into the front door and he walks and he orders a pint bottle of Bulmers and so the place goes quiet and he takes his soup and gives the nod and the place went wild and it was like <laughs> but I have that in film that was great that's amazing. just in terms of the folklore of Dublin oh, theatre that to me is Des Cave what an amazing actor you know what an amazing such actor. a super guy yeah. I have so much time for him mm. right talk to me about Jet Setting Around the World with Penelope then and huh. the kind of monster machine that Druid has now become in terms of 
this world conquering force. Druid are one of the finest theatre companies in the world, uh, in my opinion. And um, to see them operate in such, you're actually looking for the little moomins or the little where are the doozers. Yeah. Is there a is there a room in here that is full of doozers, little small fraggle rock people that are there somewhere? But it's not. It's just them. It's the people you see just in that office, a handful of people, and they run one of the most successful theatre companies in the world. It is absolutely incredible to see. And to be part of that was, uh, you know, very much of a high point. To work with Enda Walsh, to work with Michael Morphy, who is possibly one of the best directors I've ever worked with, um, on an Enda Walsh play with a fantastic cast, with a big tour, with the okay given from the the, the, the needs that the, 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 the who should be obeyed, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and it was like you know, it was an absolute experience, you know. And Druid are really, you know, they're a very wonderful. They're a great company to work with. They're very, you know, they look after you well. And Tim Smith should be, you know, you know, should be made a saint. But um, he, he, a terrific guy, and uh, what an experience we we had the crack. Uh, I could, I could regale you with hundreds of thousands of Tyg Murphy naked stories. <laughs> I have photographs of Tyg doing a particular thing that he's quite proud of. Um, yeah, on the Penelope set, actually, funny enough. He became Penelope, that's what it was. But a naked Penelope. And uh, I have a photograph of that. Uh, yeah. We'll have to have that as a special we'll hidden, a, hidden track or a DVD yeah, yeah. box set extra. Yeah, yeah. They scream when you see it at the end. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, thirty-three seconds after. But um, it was, uh, it was really, it was, you know, it was a great, it was a great thing. And I was like, oh, you know, one of the reasons we were in where I was in Washington and Aaron Monaghan had uh, taken over from Tyg and Tyg had gone back. He was working again with Truth, and uh, it was hilarious. The, the people in Washington, we were stopped with one line. They were like. My God, is it true? Like you guys were told not to work out before the show, like to to have that. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah the work I had to no, put no, in to get that physique. The shit that I had to eat to look like this. <laughs> <laughs> so now you can find me every day in Ben Dunn's gym on Jervis Street. So <laughs> it's like, uh, but I was like, it was a great experience. You know, it was, really was. And was there a few award nominations in there for yourself as well? Yeah, I got the Irish Times um, last year nominated Actor Award, and then I was nominated by the Stage Awards in um, Edinburgh, um, which was uh, which was nice. Um, always nice to be nominated, or yeah. So it was it was just a great chunky, you know, piece of meat of a play to get your teeth into, and a great cast to be around, and a fantastic director, and just a great crew, and just everything, and then. To learn how to do quick change and to then to time yourself in three minutes forty two seconds to three minutes twenty two seconds for eight costume changes, uh, you know, it was just it was just fantastic. It was great. So looking ahead, then, have you a load of stuff coming out on TV and film in the next little while? Uh, I have, um, I have my. See, I, I like to do my couple of days on um, on films, and I have no problem with that uh, because. Whether you're acting in film or you're acting in stage, you're still an actor. But you're on, you know, you do your two days. I did three days on Haywire with Steven Sodenberg as a director. I get to hang out with Gina Gamora. I get to hang out with Michael Fassbender. I get to hang out with Matthew Kasovitz, the guy who wrote, directed and starred in La Haine. I made money on that film to pay my mortgage for a couple of months. 
and it was terrific. And I got to spend a day driving around Wicklow with Steven Soddenberg in the front seat of the car because he was also DOP, and it was just a fucking incredible experience. And um, you know, and then what have I got? Yeah, that's so that's out. I played this character called Goatee, which is hilarious because they Dennehy Ned Dennehy says to me, "Well, at least they're talking about you." Uh, and they do, they do. You go check out Goatee. <laughs> it's just fucking hilarious. But it's good crack, and I have Steven Sonberg on my CV, and I would, some down the line will stand to me. Um, he tells me I'll be back for Haywire too, which is nice because uh, they don't kill me. You see. Uh, and then uh, we did Shadow Dancer with James Marsh. Uh, that was great. Uh, I had a great experience with that. Uh, it was the first time I ever actually refused dialogue. He had originally cast me as an RUC guy, then changed his mind overnight, so I became IRA. So a quick mind think to change, wow. and then he became so. I, David Wilmot is this guy who's a sort of the head of internal security within the IRA, and then I'm sort of his driver. So I, everywhere he is, I am. And he said to me, he said, um, David Wilmot, lovely guy. had said to me, look, I'm thinking about these, giving you these couple of lines. You know, do you want it? Do you want them? And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have a think about it. So James came into my little room in the morning and said to me, Have you been talking to David about these lines? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what do you think? And I said, to be honest with you, I don't want to, I don't want them. I don't want, I don't want you to hear me speak. Right. I don't want you to, you don't know what sound this guy makes. And he's like, it's amazing, it's great. So I don't speak. So I, but it's a brave I, move, Carlo. Oh, fuck it. But, you know, James Marsh. Sit in a room with James Marsh and James Marsh cueing you and going, I want you to scare the fucking shit out of a car. Scare the fucking shit out of her. Go, go, go. Slowly. Go. <laughs> it's just incredible. Like, you know. So that was good crack. And then we've got Titanic, uh, Blood and Steel, uh, which was the absolute crack. Um, shot that two months in Serbia and, uh, and then a couple of, and then three months here, on and off then for three months. So I think that's due out with the, with the rest of all the other Titanics that yeah. are coming out this year but we really I think that'll be something to be proud of because it's it's just a fantastic Kieran Donnelly an incredible director uh, Robert Quinn an incredible director um, and it was a great story a great character I get to try and assassinate Winston Churchill who's Derek Jacobi who is also the voice of Iggle Piggle in the Night Garden <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was just that, that was just the crack and you know we hung out and you know DJing in Belgrade and Belgrade Castle and it just it was, it was just insane uh, actually it was like we kept sort of saying to ourselves as we were swimming in this lake at about half three in the afternoon in about you know 33 34 degrees <laughs> what will they be thinking back home <laughs> But it was just, I was absolutely, it was, it was a great experience. And it was like one of those things where you're on, you're going, oh, it'd be fucking great if it was like this all the time. Yeah. You know, it was a dream job and it was good fun. So, you got that. So, if people want to stay in touch with you from here on out, where's the oh, good place to find the, you? We're doing the 24 hour project. Oh, yes, the 24 hour project. We're doing together. We're doing we acting together. Plug. Yes, doing, again. Yes. It'd be very nice. It'd be lovely. Um, well, as the man who originated 24 hour plays, in Ireland, this is a lovely uh, homecoming for you, then, isn't it? It's 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 an interesting experience to be on the other side of it, as opposed to trying to um, produce. And I never directed in the last one; I just sort of organised it. Um, we did four four plays the first time, which was within twenty four hours. Then we did another twenty four hours, which I think was five plays, and then we did within twenty four hours of dance, uh, which was the same idea, only choreographers, dancers, and musicians. 
But it was great crack, and there was like a whole game of chance thing. So the, the writers didn't know who they were writing for, the uh, directors didn't know whose script they were going to get, or whose cast they were going to get, or also their stage manager. Everything was plucked from a hat. So this time around, I think it's a different type of structure. I think there's a licensed template. Yes, it would appear. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. But um, so we did ours 10 years ago. Um, so it was like, uh, this should be really interesting whether or not the writers will see who they, who they get. and and then who you're paired with and who's direct and there's some writers who I, and some directors who I'm looking forward to working with any of them or any of the actors like what yeah. a, it's going to be an, like, an amazing event I think yeah it seems like a pretty exceptional lineup. and me uh, and <laughs> Angus oh yeah absolutely yeah so uh, yeah. I know it should be great so if that is one that I believe is almost already sold out so if people listeners so, yeah. now go and buy your tickets immediately if not yeah. sooner um, so yeah if people want to stay in touch with you or the company or what, where's the best place to stay in touch with you Facebook maybe are you on Twitter is there I, don't, a website? I don't know how to do Twitter I don't know I haven't ventured down to Twitter uh, Facebook is probably you'll find me hanging out there sometimes and if people want to offer your work just ring Lisa Richards just ring Lisa or Jonathan or Richard yeah. or Luke Coulson in London <laughs> great stuff so Carlo thank you so much thank That's you an so much pleasure really appreciate it man is that the music <laughs> so there you have it the brilliant Carl Shields a really good mate of mine a guy I've had the privilege of working with quite a few times now and just an all round rock star he's really a great guy to be around so I'm delighted that everyone's going to get a chance to see so much of him over the next while particularly on screen because Carl works particularly well on screen uh, apart from being a very fine theatre actor and he's just this guy who keeps churning out this great amount of work and getting awards and nominations left right and centre for it he's just an all round super dude so that brings us to our weekly roundup of what is going on around town. The 24-hour play project at Project Arts Centre is now, as far as I know, officially sold out. I warned you. I told you to get in there and get your tickets early. It is the most spectacular lineup to grace a stage anywhere uh, in Ireland this year. It has to be said, as you know, you heard myself and Carl talking about it there in the interview. I'm delighted to be a part of it. It's just an exceptional lineup and should be an exceptional night of theatre. If nothing else, it'll certainly be exciting because we really literally only have 24 hours to go from not a single word on a page to a fully rehearsed, fully costumed, fully produced performance. It'll be interesting to say the least. Um, also a project, The Goddess of Liberty by Karen Ardiff for Gunanua Theatre Company is still ongoing there. I shall be going to check that out this Friday evening and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, at the Viking Theatre at the Sheds out in Clontarf, Eugene O'Brien's play Eden is finishing up. Such a wonderful piece of writing. If you get a chance to catch that, please do. Um, That'll be followed next week by The Watchman by Sean Lawler. Um, Da has just opened at the gate, and by all accounts, it is a super production. I'm very much looking forward to go and see that. Um, At the Peacock, I Heart Alice Heart Eye is ongoing with the brilliant Amy Conroy and Hotford Theatre Company there. Um, I only hear exceptional things about that show. Um, And also, Bookworms is opening tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, um, at the Abbey Theatre. And I shall be going along with the wonderful Mr. Peter Daly. Um, That's uh, a play by the brilliant Bernard Farrell. And uh, as far as I know, is uh, a wonderful comedy and nice to kind of lighten the soul in these dark, depressing days. Um, Hollywood Valhalla at Bewley's Cafe Theatre, which has been getting all those rave reviews, is finishing up this weekend as far as I know. So this is really your last couple of chances to go and catch that. It'll be followed next week by a new play called Love All. Um, The Master Builder uh, by Ibsen, Vincent A. O'Reilly's new version of that for Sheer Tantrum Theatre is ongoing and will be at the New Theatre in Temple Bar. Um, The Collaborations Festival at Smock Alley is ongoing with a million different shows every night from a million different companies. Um, Lots of very exciting stuff there as well. Best place to go and get information on that is to go to the Smock Alley website because they have their full listings of what's going on. Just Google Smock Alley. It'll all come up for you there. And of course, Druid and Rough Magic are still on the road 
road with um, Big Maggie and Plaza Suite, though Big Maggie is finishing up very quickly. So um, if you're looking to get into that, you've got to do it sooner rather than later. So that's us. That is episode 14 in the books. We will be back with you next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>